The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. You can find Daniel chapter 6 in your Bible. That will be our text this morning. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Probably one of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament. I would say it's right up there with Noah's Ark, David and Goliath, and some of those uh, great stories. And we may think that, well, Daniel in the lion's den, that's Sunday School 101, Brother Matt. Maybe so. But this is more than a children's story. It's a story that involves jealousy, wickedness, persecution, prayer, fasting, justice, deliverance. Ultimately, it's a story about faithfulness. I want you to look at the very end of verse 23. The very end of verse 23, we read that Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Not only is this story about Daniel's faithfulness to God, but also God's faithfulness to Daniel. Last week, we looked in Daniel chapter 1. We were encouraged by Daniel as a teenager. He made up his mind early in life to honor God. He resolved in his heart, specifically in chapter 1, that when he was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and he was given this diet that went against the Jewish dietary restrictions in the law of Moses, that he would not defile himself with that food, we saw how God blessed him, uh, blessed him for that decision. Well, this morning in Daniel 6, we fast forward to the end of Daniel's life. He's now an old man, but we'll see how his resolve to honor God that we saw last week early in life has now produced a life filled with unwavering faithfulness towards God, which is something we all should strive for. I want you to notice as we go through this story that the trials that Daniel faced did not produce his faith. They proved it. Daniel was already a faithful servant of God. I would even add that had he not been, this whole story of Daniel in the lion's den would not have taken place anyway because it's really his faithfulness that prompted other men to become so jealous of him in the first place. Let's start and read the first three verses. We're going to get some details of a new government that, is, that has taken over. Daniel 6, verse 1, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom uh, these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. We'll stop there for just a minute. I want you to remember again, this is now late in Daniel's life. About 70 years has passed from chapter 1 until now, roughly speaking. And so the Babylonian Empire and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the empire that took Daniel captive, that's past. The Babylonian Empire has fallen to the Medes and the Persians. That's why we read in verse 1 of this man Darius. And when Darius took over, he set up the Medo-Persian government, and they were very organized. 
And so he begins to set up regions, and he has these satraps over different regions, and then he has these presidents or these high officials that these men answer to, and Daniel is chosen to be one of these three highest officials in the entire empire. Not only that, though, we read that Daniel is even preferred as the leader among them because he has this excellent spirit about him. And the king had plans to promote him above everyone else. Now we may think, well, that's wonderful. And it was. It was a blessing from God that he was you know, given this success and this preference. But with success and with responsibility comes great scrutiny. You may know that in your life. You may desire a high rank, some important position, some you know, prominent spot, whether it be at your job or whatever it may be. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with ambition. But just know that it usually comes with its own unique trials, its own unique criticisms, uh, persecutions perhaps. And so if you are ever blessed with or find yourself in one of those types of positions, you need to understand how important it is for you to remain faithful and upright and honest and blameless because all eyes are on you. And there are some people who want you to fall and who will try to make you fall. And that's going to happen in Daniel's life. The fact that he was sort of elevated over these other presidents meant that they were very jealous of him. And so they're going to search for a way to bring him down. Look at verse 4 through 9. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground, ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 6, Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Verse 9, Therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. He didn't even ask any questions about it. He just signed it. So initially, the men in these verses, they want to find some kingdom responsibility that Daniel is not fulfilling, something that he's neglecting in the kingdom, maybe something he's not good at or something corrupt that he has done with his power, maybe some embezzlement, whatever it may be. This is called politics. They're trying to find some dirt on Daniel to expose him to the king. But there was no dirt to be found. We were told that Daniel's faithful. They could not find anything. And I, I want to make this application before we move on in the story. Daniel was taken from his homeland about 70 years earlier, and he is now serving yet another polytheistic pagan empire. First Babylon, and now Medo-Persia. And yet Daniel is still faithful 
and honest in what he's doing. My point is this. You may find yourself somewhere you'd rather not be. Maybe you don't have your dream job just yet. Maybe, maybe you're serving the Medo-Persian Empire. It's godly to do a good job and be faithful wherever you are at. God just might have placed you there so that you can be a good witness for him. And that's what Daniel is going to turn out to be. He is serving a pagan king in this polytheistic realm, and yet his faithfulness turns out to be a witness to God. He still gave King Darius his best, even though Darius was a lost man. Other people noticed Daniel's faithfulness. These men who were trying to bring him down, they knew that we will find nothing we can say bad against Daniel, no, no reason for fault unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That was their only chance. We need to find a Persian law that contradicts Daniel's God's law because we know what he'll choose. And if we can find that law, then we've got him. Well, apparently there wasn't one that existed, so they, they made one up, didn't they? Look at verse 7 again, just, just quickly. Isn't verse 7 a lie, what they told Darius? Did all the presidents come together and agree to this? Daniel's one of these three main presidents, and he did not agree to this. Maybe they had some secret meeting and, and decided to go to Darius with this, and they, they concocted this this lie, and they presented their idea to the king, and it sounded great. Darius doesn't even question it or, or ask why or anything. He's setting up his kingdom. He's organizing things, trying to gain some loyalty. What better way to emphasize to people where their loyalty must lie than just for 30 days to have this decree that you cannot pray or petition any god or man except Darius. It's just 30 days. Let's be loyal to our new king. Makes sense in a kingdom that worships different gods. Let's unite them in this way. The punishment for breaking the law is pretty harsh, isn't it? You're thrown into a den of lions. That means you're going to die. These men didn't want to just teach Daniel a lesson. They wanted to kill him. The punishment of being thrown into the den of lions is, is pretty amazing. It's not just for the story here, but it's historically accurate. The, the Babylonian Empire sometimes executed people with fire. You think about the story of the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in there. That didn't destroy them, but that's a whole other story. The Persians, though, who are now in power, they thought fire to be holy. They sort of worshipped fire. And so they would not dare execute someone with fire. So their means of execution was sometimes lions, which just so happens to be what we read in this story, which is just one of those little facts that helps us trust completely the Word of God. Even with little things like how people are executed during certain empires, it's all true. It's all accurate. Never doubt the Word of God. So finally, verse 8 mentions that this, 
decree is going to be according to the law of the Medes and Persians. What does that mean? Of course, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. That's what empire we're in, right? Yes, but in the Medo-Persian Empire, once a king signed a law, even he couldn't change it. Even he couldn't cancel it. If you know anything about Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar would have been laughing at the kings of Persia. You mean you don't even have enough power to change your mind or change a law you signed? You're not much of a king. But that was this empire now. If it was signed, that was it. It was irrevocable. So this was signed by Darius. It is irrevocable. Even Darius can't change his mind. So how is Daniel going to respond to this trap? Let's look at verse 10, and I, I believe that this verse is the most important verse in the story. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew it. He went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Notice the end of the verse, as he had done previously. Do not overlook that final phrase, as he had done previously. When the law was passed and Daniel knew it, he didn't change at all. Not at all. And there's really kind of two roads we can take that from. There's, there's two, two curtains we can pull back and, and, and make application. First, when the law was passed, he didn't start praying. How many people, and let's tell on ourselves, how often do we neglect prayer the way we should be praying, but then when something bad happens, boy, then we start praying. It's not wrong to pray when something bad happens. Please don't misunderstand that. But hopefully, ideally, we're praying all along. And when some trial hits us, whatever it may be, we just keep right on praying. That's what Daniel did. This crisis did not create his prayer life, nor was this some um, arrogant show of power well, I'll just show them that they can't stop me from praying. I'll just start praying right now. He didn't change a thing. He just kept praying because it's what his habitual practice was. He was a man of prayer during the good days, during the bad days, and this law did not change that for him. I want you to think about how, just how busy Daniel's life would have been as one of the most powerful men in this empire and yet he still set aside three times a day where he could approach his God in prayer. He did not let even his very weighty responsibilities and obligations distract him from his need to fellowship with God. I know life's busy, but don't let this life distract you from prayer. I met with someone this week and, and he was telling me about how he had been making an effort to pray more lately, and he could tell a difference in his life. And I said, amen. When we pray, what that can do to our mindset is, is incredible. 
Don't neglect to pray. So that's the first thing I want you to see about Daniel, and specifically this verse, is that Daniel didn't start praying when this law dropped. But the second thing is that he didn't stop praying when the law dropped. He didn't change. His custom and his habit was to pray three times a day, and there was no man-made law that was going to stop that. When it was illegal to pray to Yahweh, Daniel didn't change. Say, but aren't we supposed to be good citizens, Brother Matt? Aren't we supposed to obey the laws of the land that we live in? Didn't Paul talk about that in Romans? Didn't Peter tell us that we need to honor the emperor? Yes, absolutely. Christians should respect and submit to the authorities and the civil laws of whatever country they find themselves in. That's not just the U.S., that's, that's worldwide. When the New Testament was written, they were talking about the Roman Empire as the civil authority. We should be the best citizens there are until those laws contradict God's laws. The most authoritative word that you are to listen to and that you are to obey is not the word of Congress, not the word of a president, not the Supreme Court, not any king in this world, but the word of God. Amen. That is the most important word there is. The Medo-Persians... The Medo-Persian Empire felt like their laws were so powerful they couldn't even change them. But the only law that's truly powerful enough to be unchanged is the Word of God. That's what we must listen to and obey always. You probably remember in the early chapters of the book of Acts, the apostles were preaching in Jesus' name and they were commanded by the religious leaders of the Jews to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. It was then illegal. Do you think that stopped the apostles from preaching? Do you remember what Peter said? We ought to obey God rather than men. In Nazi Germany, some people broke the law and hid Jewish people in their homes. That was illegal. It was illegal based on the laws of the land. But those people would have been breaking God's law had they aided in the murder of, and senseless killing of God's chosen race of people. If our country ever passes a law that prohibits prayer or forbids us singing praises or outlaws us from meeting for public worship or preaching the Bible or preaching in Jesus' name, those are laws we must disobey because they contradict Scripture. If you're thinking, oh, that would never happen in our country. Our country is growing increasingly anti-Christian by the day. And we better get prepared now. We also had a, a little glimpse of this during COVID a few years ago. And that wasn't exactly the same, okay? COVID wasn't a persecution directed solely towards Christians. But it did open our eyes to the potential of a government placing restrictions upon us and upon our worship. We can see how it could happen. And I half joked during COVID that I missed the seminary class where they taught us how to guide your church through a worldwide pandemic. I missed that day. So we did our best as a church to navigate through that together. It was extremely difficult. We know that. But it opened our eyes, if nothing else, to how we can see different things could happen in the future. So let's bring it back to Daniel. When this law was passed, 
He didn't change. If our country ever passes laws forbidding us to use the Bible or preaching Jesus or meeting to worship, we are already doing it now and we better not stop. That's not when we start and that's not when we stop. So don't change. The law was only for one month. Just 30 days. Isn't that interesting? Could Daniel not have just said, you know what? I'm in my late 70s now, maybe my early 80s. I've been praying my whole life. It's just 30 days. God will forgive me. Then after 30 days, I'll just start back up again. I read a man one time who said, true faith doesn't look for loopholes. It just obeys God. I don't want to be morbid about this, but Daniel wasn't guaranteed to live 30 more days. None of us are guaranteed our next breath. Daniel was not willing to go one day without praying. That's an awesome example. Daniel's a man of unwavering faithfulness. Well, let's see what happens. Let's look at verse 11 through 15. Then these men came by agreement. That's the same phrase when they came by agreement to Darius the first time. It means they're weasels. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men, notice again, came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now uh, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Let's stop there for a minute. This phrase, these phrases we saw come by agreement, I think the King James translates it as assembled, and it, it, it means they, they did get together, and, and just in the story, you just get this picture of these group of wicked men who are kind of huddling up in a corner and, and making this just, these terrible wicked decisions, and all right, guys, let's go to the king with this. And then once the injunction signed, hey, let's get together and go spy on Daniel. We know when he prays. You can just see these men kind of ducking around the corner, and here comes Daniel's window open, and they're so excited. His window's opening. There he is. He's praying. We've got him. Let's go. So they come together, and they go to Darius. Didn't you sign this as if they didn't know? Yes. King Darius said, I signed that. Well... The motives of these men then came out. They weren't, uh, they didn't bring this injunction to Darius's attention for Darius's benefit or to create any loyalty in the kingdom. They just wanted Daniel gone. And did you notice that Darius is upset about this? And he's not upset with Daniel. He's not. He is upset after he realizes the wicked purpose of these men. Daniel is his number one in the kingdom. 
And so he, he realizes their true purpose, and he works now all day long trying to figure out a loophole. But their laws can't be changed. And so near the end of the day, after this weak king who can't even change his own laws has no answer, these men come back together again. You know what you've got to do, king. This was probably a cultural thing as well that they came back the same day. One, one author says that the law prescribed that the sentence be carried out on the same day as the crime. And so he, he, he goes on, and so Darius had only until sundown to solve the dilemma. He tried all day, but before the day was up, these men came back and said, we've got to do it the right way according to our laws. Well, so let's look at verse 16 and 17. Darius' hands are tied. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Now, Darius, I mentioned earlier, he's, he's not a saved man. He worships other gods. He's a polytheistic but surely he has heard stories of Yahweh's deliverance, right? In, in some of his interactions with Daniel and his, his knowledge of history and, and, and things that have happened in Babylon, do you not think he has heard about how Daniel has interpreted some of these dreams of Nebuchadnezzar decades earlier and has not heard of how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from a fiery furnace some decades ago? And so even though he's not supremely confident in Yahweh, maybe there's some hope. Maybe this God that you serve continually can save you. Maybe he can deliver you. I do love in verse 16 that Darius affirms that Daniel served his God continually. Isn't it awesome that Darius knew that about Daniel? That's that unwavering faithfulness that we should all strive for. If you'd like to exercise or work out, you may have heard this phrase before, and I like to use it from time to time, that consistency is more important than intensity. And if you think about it in the exercise realm, if you work out three or four times a week for an hour at a time, that's really good. But if you say, no, I'm going to be more intense with my workouts, and every year on January 1st, I'm going to run a marathon. But the, the 364 days after that, I'm not going to do anything. But boy, that one workout a year is intense. That's terrible for you. <laughs> That's not good. It's better to be consistent. And the same thing is true in our Christian life. We don't want to be these roller coasters that go up and down. We want to be consistently faithful. And that's what Daniel was. And Darius noticed that about him. Oh, it still put Daniel in the lion's den, though. But let's see what happens. Let's look at verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. This verse is fascinating to me because the story leaves the man in the den and goes back to the palace with the king. I want to know what happened to Daniel. I don't care about King Darius. Well, we'll come back to Daniel, right? 
I think we're told about verse, uh, about verse 18 because the king was more worried that night than Daniel was. I'll prove that in a minute. The king goes back to his palace and there's no music brought to him. There's no storytellers come that night. He fasts and he cannot sleep. Let's read verse 19 through 23. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said, Huh? Is he not dead? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The next morning, Darius has some hope within him, at least. At least enough to go back to the den, right? But I think at the same time, this grieved or pained or you know, lament, lamentable, anguished voice, again, he's not supremely confident in Yahweh. But just maybe... So he goes back the next morning, which is probably another cultural thing. Another author writes that perhaps we should see the king's hasty return early the next morning in the perspective of the ancient Babylonian custom that the victim would be pardoned if he were tortured and had not died by the following day. So maybe if there was just any possibility of Daniel still being alive as the new day broke, he could pull him out. And even if he was torn to pieces, maybe they could help. Maybe he could be pardoned. Maybe we can save him. God had already taken care of that, though, didn't he? The very first thing Daniel said to the king, long live the king. What would you and I have said to the king who threw us in a den of lions? I would have probably let him have it. Maybe I'm just telling on myself. I don't know if I would have been quite as humble as Daniel to the man who tried to kill me. But Daniel said, long live the king. Now in these verses, we're told a little bit about Daniel's night. Earlier we were worried with the king. Now we get a little bit of insight into the lion's den. Daniel said, my God sent his angel to shut their mouths. Imagine while King Darius is grieving and fasting and cannot sleep and he is worried to death that Daniel is relaxed. He is at peace. He's not worried at all. He's fellowshipping with an angel of the Lord. If you know God, you can face trials like that. Surrounded by lines and yet you can have peace because you know God has not left you. The king struggled that night a lot more than Daniel did. We're told that no kind of harm was found on him, 
which is great. Daniel didn't put up a good fight. He, you know, he, he wasn't this superhero of a man who was able to fight lions. He didn't have to fight them. He didn't even have a scrape on him. His clothes weren't ripped. It's a lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they came out of the fiery furnace, the Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. Here, Daniel, you would have not have known that he spent a night in a den of lions. And we're told because he trusted in his God. God delivered Daniel because Daniel trusted him. He believed God. He had faith in God. And God responded to that faith. Now, that doesn't mean that people who have not been delivered from persecution, that they weren't faithful. It didn't mean that God didn't uh, truly believe in their belief or, or however you want to say that. It didn't mean they were disingenuous with their faith. It is a fact of Daniel's life, though, that God delivered him because of his faith. God always responds to faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the, the famous chapter that sometimes we call the hall of faith, I want you to listen to a few verses. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. It was Daniel's faith in God, which was why God delivered him that night. But we know that not everyone who has had faith in God and who lives faithfully has had these amazing endings that Daniel did. I'm going to read a few more verses from Hebrews. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Listen to this last part. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Those faithful believers, even though God chose not to deliver them in this life, he honored their unwavering faith. He delivered them from this life. Back to Daniel and his story. Daniel in the lion's den is not a story about bravery or courage or strength. It is a story about faith. Daniel had a continual, constant, unwavering, uncompromising, unchangeable faith in his God, no matter what he faced. It didn't start when things got tough, and it didn't stop when things got tough. He was just consistent. Go back to Daniel 6. What about those other men, though? Now let's look at verse 24. And the king commanded... And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. The men who accused Daniel paid the price for their wickedness. They wanted the lions to destroy Daniel, but that sort of backfired on them. 
And if it seems unfair and, and horrific that their families and their children paid the price along with them, sure. But King Darius made the call. You can't change it. What we can learn from that is that sin has consequences. And if you think you can sin and it not affect anyone else, you are completely wrong. There are so many stories in the Bible where sin affects other people. Nobody sins in a vacuum. The sin of those men led to the death of their families. Let's read the last few verses. Verse 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. It sounds like a letter from Paul to me. Peace be multiplied to you. Verse 26, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Then verse 28, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That note from King Darius reads a little different than that 30-day prohibition not to pray to Yahweh, doesn't it? God has now used a pagan king to bring himself glory because he sends out this edict across his whole, his whole empire. If you have not been faithful to God in your life, today is the day to start. Do not wait until a trial comes and think that you will flip a switch and then just become a magically faithful Christian. Now, if you're not faithful and a trial comes, start being faithful then. But ideally, be faithful beforehand. Daniel resolved early in his life that he would honor God and we can see what that has done to him as he is this older man now in his late 70s, early 80s, who has such a faithfulness about him that it's undeniable. I pray that we are so continually faithful that when trials come in our lives, we don't change. We don't start being faithful then and we definitely don't stop being faithful then. And we should all leave here thankful for God's faithfulness to us. You know, when we fail Him, He doesn't stop being faithful to us. When we start serving Him, that's not when He starts being faithful to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He will never leave us or forsake us. If you're here this morning and you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, humble yourself this morning. Trust Him, and He will deliver you from your sin and from death and from hell, and He is faithful to do that. Let's stand. We'll bow for a word of prayer as we prepare for an invitation. 
Father, thank you so much for the examples in your word of these men and women who, who were faithful to you. Help us to draw from that and help us to be consistently faithful in our lives. We thank you so much for your forgiveness when we fail you. And we are amazed that you never fail us. And we're thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.